0: Hey, good afternoon. It's it's really great um, to to be here with you. I, I've been really excited actually about coming out to to meet you guys because um, I've heard so many so many cool things um, from from Lockie um, when we catch up and, and grab a coffee from time to time. So it's like thank you for having me and thank you for making me feel welcome so far. And um, yeah, I really do hope that this little time now uh, might be might be helpful for us. Um, both personally, just as people, but even more importantly as we seek to to like practice the way of Jesus and, and follow Jesus together. Um, let me just do a little introdu- introduction around just to give you a little bit more um, stuff, info, I guess, around me and then um, we'll get on into it. Uh, my name is Mike. My wife, her name is um, Zoe and we've been married for uh, four years and then just in, in like five weeks time um, we're expecting our, our first... Uh, baby, a little girl. Um, so life is um, going to change very significantly in five weeks' time, and I'm not quite sure what rest is going to look like then. Um, and yeah, as I said, I'm currently working as the, as the young ads pastor at Central Baptist Church, um, and I've been there for five years. But I originally moved across to Glen Waverley um, from a town called Sunbury, I was speaking to a few of you about it just beforehand. Um, and it's this location where I grew up that I want to share a story just to kind of kick things off here this afternoon. So I met um, Zoe when we were both doing an internship at a, at a youth organisation called Youth Dimension. So it runs out of this old primary school in Warrandyte South, sort of eastern suburbs in the middle of nowhere. Uh, and so Zoe would travel 15 minutes from her Uh, house in a little suburb called Croydon, and then I would travel over an hour from my home um, in Sunbury. Now, once we started dating, um, it sort of became this kind of, I call it middle distance dating. So we didn't live far enough away from each other that it could be classed as long distance because we were only like like a car trip away from each other. But it also wasn't like we could just hop on our bikes and ride down the road to see each other. Um, It was probably at least an hour and 15, maybe hour and a half, depending on the traffic. And so most of the time, um, I would travel to Croydon um, to see her, because my wife doesn't love driving that much. Um, So after a long day of work or or study, I would make my way to Croydon, and would just sort of spend some time with Zoe and the rest of her family. And I got into this bad habit of staying far too late at her house, so that... Oftentimes when she or her parents would kick me out because they wanted to go to bed, um, it would be like 11 or 12 o'clock at night and I'd begin like the long depressing drive back to Sunbury Um, and sometimes it was even later actually when... When the parents were feeling um, generous for me, uh, and so this made for some like really interesting car trips on the way home. I don't know if like what you guys are like on the roads late at night, but I regularly found myself battling the effects of tiredness and darkness on the roads with very few other people or cars around. So it was a great run home, but it was also it wasn't that great because. It felt like I was the only one up at that time on the roads. And um, one night, after beginning to drift across the road while driving, so I was nodding off at the wheel, I decided to pull over on Alexander Parade. I don't know if you know where Alexander Parade is. Like, you, cool. It's, it's where I, all I know about Alexander Parade is it's where I, it's around that location where I meet Lockie for coffee. Like, um, so I pulled over at Alexander Parade because I was going dead set. I'm going to have an accident if I don't pull over and have a little power nap. And so I pulled over and I parked my car and I cracked the window just a little bit so there was some fresh air coming through and I happened to have a blanket in the back seat so I pulled that over because it's middle of winter time and I set my alarm for 15 minutes. So it was probably about 11.30 at night and I set it so that at 11.45 the alarm would go off. I would kind of just like wake up from my slumber and have just enough energy to get home by around about 12.30. That was my plan. Um, what happened is, is I fell asleep, and the next thing I remember is waking up and kind of being like, "Gee, it's pretty, it's pretty light outside." Um, and then I looked at my phone, and it was 5:30 in the morning, and I'd slept six hours in the in, in my car, just in this random little car park, probably not super safe, like the doors were locked, um, and I, I felt like a fool, but. Um, six straight out. So I woke up going, rip up the rest, like, let's get on into the rest of the day. And I continued the drive home and I, I got home just after six and I went into my room and was like, oh, I've probably got another hour before I need to get up. So I'll hop into bed and no sooner had i like gone into bed, ha- did my mum like rush into my room and she was furious and upset because she had been waiting up all night for her, her, love, her darling son to come on home. She was just sort of like, what, is go- what has happened to my son? Um, and, and you know, when I, when I eventually told her, she wasn't that happy with me still, but was at least like, well done, son, on having a power nap and being wise. <laughs> Great job. Now that's just one of many stories that I could tell you. Another one actually, like happened probably about 20 minutes down the road, where I, I, I took a power nap and I parked basically like on a road like this behind a car. And the first thing I remember is I woke up and the first thing I saw was a car in front of me and I thought that I'd fallen asleep at the wheel and was about to rear end a car. Like, so I've got so many stories of sleeping in cars because of this habit that I got on into um, of staying too late at my girlfriend's place and then driving home far too late. But I tell you that story because it just serves as really one example around how we as, as humans, we've got very real physical limitations. So we're not machines and built into your humanity and mine is the need for activities or bodily functions which don't just like fuel our day-to-day activities but also restores and and refreshes them. And so sleep is what my body most needed at 11.30 p.m. At night, when I was driving home, and my body sooner or later was going to go to sleep, whether I was on the road, whether I was parked on this seedy car park in Alexander Parade, or whether I was home tucked up in like my comfortable bed. But sleep is just one of the things um, that our body needs to become restored and refreshed for the purposes and activities that we just do throughout our day, whether we're workers, uni students, high school students, whatever we do throughout the day, uh, we all need opportunities to be restored and refreshed physically. And as humans, here's my, here's my basic understanding so far. As humans, we were all made to work hard, but also to rest well. To work hard, but also to rest well, and in the cultural moment that we find ourselves in, in a diverse country like Australia, I think working and studying hard is, actually, is, is really highly valued. But rest, not so much. So we often reward effort and hard work in studies or in, in, your career, in our careers. But when was the last time that someone was rewarded for intentionally taking time to rest? So I think something is wrong in the way that our culture and our society views work and rest. And I would suggest that there's actually quite a concerning imbalance. What makes it interesting is that the scriptures actually have a lot to say, not just about how hard we should be working, but also how well we should be intentionally resting. And we're going to get to the scriptures in just a moment. Um, it was read out just before. But what I love, and what I find really fascinating is when this is when science and research, backs up much of the ancient wisdom of the scriptures. Uh, In an online article from earlier this year, there's a guy called Joshua Crook. He was from the University of Adelaide. And he kind of gathered together some of the research and the data that was coming out around the consequences when hard work is not counterbalanced with good rest. And he summarises some of the data around the negative effects of overwork and various... Um, job or vocational settings and, and this data, like I honestly think it applies to whether you are a worker or whether you are a student because you're sh- like currently if you're a student, that is your vocation. But here's a snapshot of what some of the research tells us. I'm so sorry about the slides. Um, after working 39 hours a week, mental health tends to decline and after 48 hours, job performance begins to rapidly decrease. There's signs of depression and anxiety and worse sleep quality that's associated with long-term health risks such as cardiovascular disease, type 2 diabetes and cancer. Working more than 10 hours a day increases the risk of workplace injury by 40%. And if you work more than 12 hours a day, it doubles it. And longer working hours um, harm relationships, they erode job satisfaction, they contribute to depression, including increased suicidal thoughts. So clearly, there's some significant consequences when hard work is not balanced with good rest. And so for our remaining time here in this moment, I just want to introduce to you some of the wisdom that has changed my life over the last two years as I've gotten a little bit more serious about good rest and not just hard work. Um, And then we're going to finish a little bit around what the scripture reveals about rest and providing just a little bit of a framework for how rest can become more of an intentional, spiritual practice in your life and mind. So with that said, um, if you have a Bible, feel free to... Um, head to it or if not, it'll be on the screen. Um, but in G- go to Genesis chapter 2 and we're just going to begin with this as we launch into this topic. What we're about to read is kind of like the summary statement of creation, of the creation account of God's work in like forming the world in which we live in today. In Genesis chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, it reads like this. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. But by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing, and so on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and he made it holy, because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. So from the very beginning of creation, hard work is balanced with good Rest. And if you were to read throughout the rest of the Old Testament, you discover that this rhythm that God institutes and observes in the creation account, it's like encapsulated and it's given to the people of God as a practice of intentional rest for themselves. It's known in the Jewish tradition as Sabbath or intentional rest and it was given um, a pattern and a structure through the law. So it's, it's included in the Ten Commandments. It's a big deal in the Old Testament scriptures. Sabbath rest was primarily enjoyed in the context where work ceased, and then the fruits of that work and the goodness of God and just the blessing of life in general was enjoyed and was celebrated through intentional rest. So it's like having time off or a day off or an afternoon or morning off. But it's also something a little bit more, and we'll get to that. It was the gift of God, it, it was a gift for the people of God that was used for life-giving purposes. But we also know that like a lot of good things, um, it, it, also become, it, it also became distorted through overbearing like, religious rules and legalism, which is, what make, which is what makes Jesus' teachings and practices about Sabbath and intentional rest so fascinating. So Vincent read it out earlier, but in your Bibles, we're just going to look um, at parts of the scripture that was read out just here. Head to Mark chapter 2, verse 23. Now in the story that um, was, we just read and that we're going to dive down into a little bit more, Jesus had an encounter with some religious rulers where there's a clash over what a Sabbath is and whether it's being done properly by Jesus and his disciples. And as, as we've heard and as we'll continue to see, Jesus frames a really healthy perspective around the Sabbath and intentional rest and it's got implications and it gives us a framework as students and young adults that are living here in Melbourne in 2019 today. So here's how Mark records this clash in Jesus' teaching on the implications of Sabbath for those who would seek to follow him. So one Sabbath day, as Jesus was walking through some grain fields, his disciples began breaking off heads of grain to eat. But the Pharisees said to Jesus, Look, why are they breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath? Now one thing that's true of the Pharisees is that they, they, they were good at what they did. They took the law very, very seriously. And the Ten Commandments, one of which relates to Sabbath rest, were regarded, and they almost feared so much by the Pharisees that they did something where um, I've heard someone talk about it. It's like they built a fence around the law just to ensure that that commandment wasn't broken by accident. And so what they do is they'll take a like a law or a commandment like remember the sabbath day by keeping it holy, which is the fourth commandment. And then they would add extra rules around this central command, kind of like a fence around a yard. And so on a sabbath day where work was prohibited, to help define work, they would make that they made rules which broke down work into 39 different categories. How far you could walk before it became work. How much weight you could carry before it became work. What you could cook and so on before it became work. And although I think that the Pharisees started from a place of actually deep conviction and passion to do the right thing, they they just got carried away with the rules. And they just lost focus of what was really important in the process, which is what makes Jesus' response to the Pharisees so clarifying for us as we begin to consider some of the practicalities of what rest can look like in your life and mine. Here's Jesus' response. Then Jesus said to them, The Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people, and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. What's interesting here is that Jesus, he isn't dismissive of of rest and it's important for human flourishing. But he also just points out that somewhere along the way, the Pharisees have just lost sight a little bit of what it's really all about. And this is how Jesus clarifies the initial intent of the Sabbath command and the invitation to rest. Sabbath rest is meant to meet the needs of people, not people to meet the requirements of Sabbath, rest, or rules. Uh, One author who wrote a book about Sabbath and intentional rest, he had this to say about this spiritual practice throughout history and into today. This is what a guy called A.J. Swoboda um, wrote. He says, Sabbath is that ancient idea and practice of intentional rest that has long been discarded by much of the church in our world. Sabbath is not new. Sabbath is just new to us. Because historically, Christians have kept some form or another of the Sabbath for some 2,000 years, but it has largely been forgotten by the church, which has uncritically mimicked the rhythms of the industrial and success-obsessed West. There's a lot of gold in that quote, I think. It it speaks into like, the historical validity of rest. So it's a time-tested and proven wise practice. And it's also just something, it, it attests to the fact that it's something that's largely foreign to the diverse culture in which we find ourselves living in here in Melbourne in 2019. So because it's foreign and because it's out of the ordinary, anyone who practices intentional rest or gleans principles from things like the Sabbath, you do it as a creative minority. This is is not viral yet. But I think that there's an increasing sense of tiredness in the world that's telling us that hard work, unaccompanied by rest, leaves us with just a lesser experience of the goodness of life, what we were designed to do and experience and live as a result. So as we shift into what rest can look like in your life and mine, I just want to submit to you just this working definition of my current understanding of intentional rest. And this is it. There we go. Intentional rest or Sabbath, it's a gift from God that's given to create space and grant permission for people to experience and enjoy intentional rest with God. And so what does this gift look like? Well, in describing what rest looks like, it's kind of like asking, how long is a piece of string? Uh, There are some guiding principles, but the rest is largely up to you. This is one of the exciting things about a practice of rest. Um, You can very much do you in this kind of um, experience. So I just want to suggest one question that um, might help us to frame up what is helpful or unhelpful to involve in imagining what intentional rest can look like in your life, whether it's a full day, whether it's a morning, whether it's an afternoon, whether it's something that's in between your uni lectures or even a lunchtime break. Um, and then we're going to just look at how this how rest shows up in three specific arenas of our lives. But this is the question that has helped me to filter what activities or options for rest might be helpful or unhelpful in in structuring a spiritual practice of intentional rest. And this is the question. Is this, whatever the activity is, is it life-giving or is it life-draining? So what I mean by life-giving is whether or not um, this activity brings life or rest or hope or a sense of wholeness as a result of that experience. And so for me, with my personality at my current stage of life, it's going to change in five weeks' time, but currently, life-giving things include, in no particular order, a bit of a sleep-in, so I'll go later than 7.45 in the morning. It involves things like nice food at home or eating out with friends and family. It involves good coffee, it involves time spent um, reading my Bible or just slowly journaling. Um, it involves an episode, an episode of Bondi Rescue, which is my secret, like, that's the show that I just love watching. I could watch it every day, I reckon. There's like 10 seasons, so I, like, I just watch it on repeat. Uh, if you want the premise of Bondi Rescue, basically people just get rescued every single time. <laughs> it's so good. It's a great show. You highly recommend. Um, other, like, life-giving things is things like a walk... Um, with my wife. Maybe it's going to the gym, not to work out, but just to sit in the spa or the sauna, you know? Um, Maybe it's an afternoon nap after I've slept in. Maybe it's watching a movie or spending time with certain friends, like the friends that are life-giving, not the friends that just drain the life out of you. Um, Maybe it's good music. Maybe um, it's a shower. So at the moment where we don't have water restrictions, sometimes I take two showers in a day because I just love showers so much. Um, if you're married, it, involves, it might involve something like marital in- intimacy. If you want to know what that is, talk to Lockie afterwards. Um, it might involve a nap again. Um, and it could involve reading a reflective or maybe like a fictional book, nothing too heavy, so I don't read a textbook in those, on those days, but I might read just something that is basically like the, the literary equivalent of watching like a Netflix show kind of thing, just something that's nice. Um, And then a good food again. This these things just bring so much life and rest and hope and a sense of wholeness to me. So those are just some of the things that are life giving. Um, What I mean by life draining at the other end of things is these are things that this is the question that filters out what I don't do on those days. What I mean by life draining is like does this activity does it cause weariness or inconvenience? Does it like load me down or does it stress us out? And so, for me, with my personality at my current stage of life, pre-baby, um, things like this include, in no particular order, work. Um, I love my work, working at a church. But like, when I'm trying to intentionally rest, I don't think of church in those times. It's just a good time to relax and rest. Um, I, I avoid household chores, and so we we like have a like 24 hours, or we do an afternoon or a morning where like I just don't do the dishes. My wife knows that the dishes are going to get done, but in that moment when we're trying to rest, the dishes don't get done until later. Um, it involves, like, not do, for me, not doing study or homework. So I'm currently um, completing ordination and I'm, I'm, I'm still at Bible college. But when I'm trying to intentionally rest, I feel free not to study for a couple of hours or for an entire day. Um, it also involves, for me, currently... Most family engagements, so I love family so much. Um, I love my wife 's side of the family, and I love my family, but oftentimes times with family they actually become like they they're tiring sometimes, and so we 've been really strategic, my wife and I that we 're really intentional about regular family dinners and regular time spending with our siblings and stuff like that. but when we 're trying to intentionally rest like we we, we don 't spend it with family. Um, I also, we, my wife and I, we try to avoid the difficult or like those big conversations in life. Um, so we'll talk about like whether, whether it's time to have a kid or not on a, at another time, not when we're trying to rest. Um, we, we talk about our budget at another time, not when we're trying to rest. Or if we're having an argument or a bit of like, bit of tension, we'll talk about that another time instead of when we're trying to rest. I also try to avoid high, avoid high intensity exercise because I'm not trying to beat PBs on those days. We try to avoid um, shopping. I don't. When I'm trying to rest, I like turn my phone off, so no one can get in contact with me. If it's an emergency, they'll call my wife, and she'll be like the filter around whether they get through or not. Don't do social media. Try to avoid the news. I also try to avoid things like excessive media consumption. So like Netflix is great. But I've never binged watched a series and at the end gone, I just feel so relaxed now. Normally I'm exhausted because of like the roller coaster of watching like what happens next on Brooklyn Nine-Nine. You know, like there's just so much going on. Um, And the other thing I try to do when I'm intentionally resting is actually trying to avoid too much sleep. Because it can go the other way as well. We're going to have too much sleep and we end up feeling more exhausted than if we just had the usual thing. So those are just some of the things that to me are life-draining. They cause weariness, they cause inconvenience, they load me down, they stress me out. Uh, And that's the filter question. Is this, whatever the activity is, is it life-giving or is it life-draining? Just really quickly, the other consideration that I take into framing up what intentional rest is, um, is whether there is room for... Um, mental rest, physical rest and emotional rest. And here's how one author outlines what rest in each of these arenas might look like. And so the first one is mental rest and so that's like rest from the mental demands and the to-dos of our daily vocation. So those are the the sacks or the uni exams or assignments that are coming. Um, And so when I'm trying to rest, as I said already, I don't work or study and I actually try to avoid thinking about work or study for however long that period of time is. The second one is physical rest and that's just rest from the physical demands of work and daily life. And so I don't try to achieve any PBs at the gym or I, try, I don't try to battle the weeds in the garden when I'm trying to rest because the physical work can be done at another time and it will get done just not at that time at the moment. Uh, and then the last one is just simply this one, uh, emotional rest and that's just rest from carrying the burdens of life that's lived in a broken world. And this one, I've got to be honest with you, this is the hardest area for me and maybe for you to to rest in. I've read that rest is an act of obedience to God to give up carrying the burdens of the world and simply letting things be the way that they are. Because here's the reality. God cares for the world far more than we do. And his lordship and his sovereignty and his care for the world, it does not cease when we choose to take morning or an afternoon or a few hours or even an entire day off to rest and so on my sabbath i try to avoid the conversation that are emotionally taxing when urgent crises arise when i'm when either my wife or i are trying to rest or then we respond in conversation with each other and with the lord as to what might be the compassionate and the wise thing to do in that moment and sometimes it might be responding to the crisis straight away Other times, it's not returning that call or the text message until later in the afternoon or even into the next day. So those are the three arenas which I think should be considered when we're creating opportunities for intentional rest in our lives. Um, As we finish up tonight, I just want to prime you with um, some questions that you might like to think about or even discuss with the people in your life because really my hope is that that we would at the very least begin to just think about what the spiritual practice of intentional rest could look like in our lives at any stage of life, wherever we find ourselves in, because our lives will be changing um, through the different stages. So what I've done is I've brought a few things with me here because I was always taught about bringing a gift wherever I go um, and also trying to make things easier um, to remember. So I've done two things. Firstly... Um, I've basically boiled down everything that I've shared tonight into like one. I don't even know what size paper that is. Like a seven and a half, maybe it's not quite A5. But so basically, if you want any of the like like the summary notes of anything that I've shared along here tonight, um, that's on. It's on that piece of paper. The second thing, uh, and this is going to be weird, so I'm going to get you guys to. I'm going to hand this around and then I'm going to explain what the heck it is, okay? So I'm going to give this to Lockie. These are um, honey sachets, okay? And if you're just like, what the heck, honey? You're going to find out in just a few moments' time. So just take one and then pass it on and then I'll explain why you've got a breakfast condiment in your hands at like 5 o'clock in the afternoon. Um, Here are some questions. Just have a think about them and think about maybe which one of these questions stick out the most to you in this moment. Here are the questions. Firstly, what might intentional rest look like practically for you at your stage of life? Whether you're a uni student, a high school student, a full-time worker, whether you're single, married, dating, or very interested in a guy or girl, what might intentional rest look like for you at this current stage of life? Secondly, is just have a think about what are some of the obstacles to practicing intentional rest in your life at the moment? Is it just because there's literally no gaps at all in your entire week to even consider trying to find some intentional rest? And here's the third question. What's the next step that you might take this week to move towards practicing intentional rest? At the very start, I said that I'm really passionate about this area because um, for about two years, it has completely revolutionised my, revolutionized my life. Um, thanks, mate. And the reason I say it's been two years is because it has been a process of two years. Um, it, it took both... Um, like counselling from my mentor and from my manager at church, or my pastor at church, as well as just conversation with my wife and some friends and family before we begin to slowly trickle in some of the things that I've just shared about today. It takes over time. So just simply, what might be the next step for you this week to move towards practising intentional rest? To finish, one of the questions that I often get asked is, Um, around the nature of rest is whether followers of Jesus are obliged to do it or not. So is it a sin to not rest? Um, And we don't have time or space tonight to spend that debating and unpacking that further, but let me just give you the spectrum of what I think is at stake if we choose to move away from this practice instead of maybe moving towards it. So at best, if we choose to not rest in our lives just live that 24/7 lifestyle each and every single week. Um, at best we're ignoring a gift from God that's given for our benefit. And to be honest like we do that we, we do this every day of our life. we ignore gifts that God has given for our benefit and for our human flourishing. But at worst, if we avoid rest and I feel pretty strongly about this, then we're actively choosing to submit our lives to good things, like work, study, family, media, other things. We're choosing to submit our lives to good things which become tyrants and idols when they replace God as the ultimate thing in our lives. So I'll leave you to come to your own conviction and understanding around this, and I'm more than happy to chat with you about it if you'd like. But with the best in mind, let me tell you why you're holding honey in your hands at the moment. One of the Jewish traditions around Sabbath or around intentional rest is that on the morning of the Sabbath, some fathers would give their children a spoon of honey. And the meaning behind it was simple. Um, Honey might help the children to remember the sweetness to life that the gift of intentional rest brings them for the rest of their lives. It was meant to be kind of like an associative thing. I don't know the, the medical term for it, but they were meant to associate the sweetness of honey with the sweetness to life that intentional rest brings. And so if you'd like to try on the practice of intentional rest in the next week or so, whether it's taking an hour off, a morning or a night off or whatever rest looks like for you, try it on. When you sit down or when you go to do it, just like have a a little taste of the honey and invite the Lord into that space that as you rest, you might feel the gift of rest work like bringing life and restoring and refreshing things back to you. Because we were created to work hard, but also to rest well. And rest is a sweet gift that's been given by God to create space and grant permission for people to intentionally rest. So how you choose to respond to this gift in life The choice is 100% up to you. So let me pray just as we close. God, I want to give you thanks for life. I want to give you thanks for the opportunities that you give us in our lives to do so many great things, to do study and to work and to um, be connected online in so many different ways to so many different people. But I also want to give you thanks that you give us opportunities, and you invite us into the gift of rest. And so I'm asking that you might give us courage and wisdom and discipline to consider what rest might look like in our lives. And I'm asking that as we rest, that you might actually make us more powerful, more effective, more influential, and more successful. in the different endeavours that we have in life because we're rested and because we're resting with you. And so I ask and I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thanks so much, Mike.